I'm Dr. Gene Hemsler, and you're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. For more than 25 years, my associates and I have been providing straightforward, no-nonsense advice for your financial questions. Email us at drgene at hemsler.com. That's D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R dot com. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired Saturday, August 17th, 2019. The only thing we have to fear... The economic health of this nation has been... ...for essential economic freedoms. The excessive decline... Greed. ...in the dollar... ...it's a late rally on Wall Street... ...too big to fail... ...growing the economy... ...growing the economy... It's amazing what's been going on with the economy. Welcome. Welcome. This is Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. You're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running, most respected money show on radio. I am your host, Nick Antonucci, uh, research analyst, joined today by Jared McKenzie and KC Smith, both from our planning department. Both of you guys have the CFP designation, so you will be our financial planning experts on the show. And KC, like myself, a SEPA, so we'll get into a little bit of exit planning conversations uh, later in the show, as we as we tend to do when either of us is on here. This is, Don't get too excited. It is exciting <laughs> hold, hold stuff. Yourself, yeah. contain yourself. It's a hot topic these days, though. It really it is. is. It is. It's a big topic. It's created a lot of conversation. I know after the last show, y'all did uh, touching on that, right? We got some good feedback. We did, and mm. you know, it's it's a new line of business for us. Um, but as we've started advertising it, you're absolutely right. It, it has garnered a lot of interest. There are a lot of Business owners out there, you know, some that are clients, some that aren't. I mean, plenty that aren't. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, with baby boomers entering that age where it's time to either, you know, decide, am I going to sell my business? Am I going to pass it along? So yeah. we'll dive into that. You Kind of your exit options here later in the show. But, uh, guys, it's been another wild week in the markets. Volatility, certainly not gone away yet. And I'm not so sure that it's going to be uh, anytime soon. Yeah. The big news for the week, we had the dreaded yield curve inversion. Now, We've had yeah, some inversion like in the yield curves. You can play over I that. know, right? I, I wish we did. That that had been a good thing to prep. Yeah. Um, Should I yell "sell" as loud as I can into the microphone? Pull the bill, like that. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, but we've had some some inversion in the yield curve. The the ten year uh, minus the three month for uh, several months now. Yeah. Since May. Um, this is but just finally, the, this is kind of the big signal that people rely on. Right. The ten year minus two. So mm-hmm. uh, for some time on, I think it was uh, on Monday morning. Uh, it might have been Tuesday, you had the uh, two-year bond yielding more than a 10-year bond. Yeah. So if you think about that, if you, if you look at interest rates, bond yields, it's kind of a component of inflation and growth expectations. Yep. So if you're telling me in two years it, you're getting more than 10 years, that means mm-hmm. that growth expectations for the longer term are going to be yeah, quite limited, yeah. which is, is not – Right. Huge new, news to us. We know kind of the, the economy is starting to slow a bit. Yeah, we've been um, seeing signs uh, outside of the yield curve, other indicators that we look at um, that have been pointing in the direction of a potential slowdown. For sure. Um, you know, not necessarily uh, any guarantee that we're going into a recession, although the yield curve has been a pretty good indicator over the years. Yeah, so if you go back to 1978, this is a uh, Credit Suisse study. If you go back to 1978, the last – Five, two minus 10 inversions that we just talked about have eventually, have eventually led to recessions. Okay, well, eventually, sure, it's going to happen at some point. But a recession occurs on average within 22 months following a 2 to 10 inversion. So okay. that could mean that we have almost two more years of 
of economic growth and, and great times before that happens. You've got to keep in mind, too, though, that the economy <laughs> is not the stock market. It is not. So, exactly. You know, uh, when you have, talk about a recession, by definition, you're talking about two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, right? Yes. So stock market uh, generally will precede a recession. You know, will we'll usually come down as it's a leading indicator. The stock market typically declines before you actually have a recession. Right. So just because we're 22 months on average away, once you have the two and 10 inversion, doesn't mean the market won't continue to decline from here. Maybe we're already at the top. Sure. And if, so if you kind of, we said when a recession occurs, now if you look at the stock market, it's not until about 18 months after inversion when the stock market usually turns and posts negative returns. But, you know, referencing the yield curve, you have a lot of these pundits come out and say, oh, well, well this time's not like the last. Well, it's never... The, it's yeah. never like the last time. Yeah. The t- times are constantly changing. No two situations are exactly the same. So I, I hate that, that that continues to be brought up, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Well, monetary policy is different than it's ever been 100%. in the history of the world. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of folks, too, coming off the last recession, like that's the most recent memory we have of them. And those are vivid la- memories. Yeah, like that, exactly. that was a, a so significant recession. It that seems was a hard like recession. I mean, for a lot of folks now, when you think about a recession, that because that's the most recent memory we have of one, that that's, that's what this means. Well, not necessarily. I mean, like Casey said, a recession does not necessarily mean a drastic decline in the stock market. Uh, it's probably not going to bode well for the stock market. But that doesn't mean we're going to see another 50% plus decline sure. like we did during the financial crisis. Yeah, and the market is cyclical. I mean, you're going to get these cycles of, of you know, robust growth followed by a bit of a decline. It, overall, in general, it's a healthy thing. Uh, it, it kind of helps keep the economy more stable, make sure that valuations are reset, expectations are reset, so that you don't end up in a bubble scenario. We might be in a bubble now in certain areas, but uh, it certainly doesn't feel like 2008. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you on that for sure. So if you look at what markets have done this week alone, we're down about 3% on the S&P 500. Uh, a lot of that comes from so, Wednesday alone. The Wednesday alone, the S&P mm-hmm. was down, I think, 295 NASDAQ was down just over 3%. And it's been an, an, a crazy week. As I mentioned, you go back to, to previous Friday, um, that, that would have been, what, like the 7th or the, the, mm-hmm. the 9th, I think. Yeah, yeah. The S&P closed down 70 basis points, so 0.7%. Monday, we lost another one and a quarter percent. Tuesday, we bounced one and a half percent higher. Mm-hmm. And then Wednesday, we were down three percent. Now, time of this recording is Thursday. Markets kind of been hovering around flattish today, yeah, up slightly. Um, so not a, not a big move today. But within um, one week, we had two of the, the worst days of 2019, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a, that was a big, big week that has uh, been pretty meaningful. But Absolutely. Vol- volatility is certainly back. So if you look, it's no surprise if you look at sector performance over this one-week period when the S&P 500 has lost 3%. Utilities, staples, real estate, and healthcare, your top four performing sectors. Only one sector positive, and that's utilities. Mm-hmm. Not a big shock there. So you're more cyclical stuff. Energies just absolutely sold off. Energy prices are getting crushed. Energy's down 6% for the week. Materials down four and a third. Same thing with industrials, financials. Um, and you know, it goes on. You know, the most cyclical things at the bottom there um, for the week. And that's what you would expect to see. I mean, and that's, you know, we've been positioning at, at Hensler to, for our clients to be a bit more defensive for a while now, you know, trying to make sure that the portfolio is constructed. In the case we do have uh, some rough waters ahead, then, we want to make sure that that we're heavily more heavily invested in those sectors that are less volatile and less invested in the the more volatile. Sure, sectors. and and you know you say if there's rough waters ahead, and, and I think 
our collective opinions are that there is. There's, there are rough times ahead, but as you said, it's to be expected. The economy is cyclical. So yep. we have to face the facts that at some point things are going to turn. And, I mean, let's just look what's going on, not just domestically, but abroad as well. Domestically, you're starting to see manufacturing really slow down, right? Consumer confidence is holding up. You have uh, the, the job situation continuing to look good. Um, you're seeing some wage growth. Um, but then you have the Fed, who in August, for the first time since the recession, cut interest rates. Yeah. So it's – and if, if you talk Fed, you talk about the Fed's dual mandate. It's, un, it's employment and it's inflation, right, to manage those mm-hmm. two things. We just said the jobs picture looks good. Yep. Inflation, it's picking up. And now some of that could be due to, uh, you know, the tariffs and the trade war with China. Yeah, sure. Um, but you have inflation, if you look at the CPI, which was released this week, year-over-year inflation's at 2%. If you look at the core, it's 2.2%, which around 2% is the Fed's target. Now, they use the PCE, which is only at 1.6%. Um, but inflation is picking up. So is that something we need to be worried about, Nick? Because worst-case scenario here, you get inflation, and then so you're, we go into talking about stagflation. stagflation. Yeah. Um, I, mean, it, it, I think it's probably on everyone's minds. You would expect that um, with the Fed, the Fed is in a difficult position, right? Because on the one hand, inflation has been low over the past several years. I mean, we haven't had much inflation no. at all. Um, we would have expected to see inflation with the unemployment situation being as good as it is, as low as it is. Um, typically what happens is when there's low unemployment, employers have to pay their employees more. It, it, we saw wage growth really pick up very late in the cycle, which right. I think is a little bit different. I mean, even so, you have wage growth that's probably, I don't know the exact number, 25 3% maybe. Right. So even if you go at that two and a half percent in real terms, it's thirty it's basis point. It's not significant. Right. If you have inflation at two point two percent, and let's just say wage growth is two and a half percent, then you have real wage growth of just point three percent. Right. So I mean, and and as you mentioned, the tariffs and the trade war is is uh, continuing to escalate, and that's not helping prices either. Obviously, uh, you have riots in Hong Kong or protests in Hong Kong. Not maybe not. Riot isn't the, co- the correct term yet. But now you have these, these, like these kind of activists path. coming out. There's an activist who came out, I was reading an article today, who is encouraging everyone to make a run on the banks there in Hong Kong. Like, yeah. Well, and, and look, you know, as, as much as we're worried about the economy domestically and things that are happening here, you got to know that the Chinese are, are sweating what's going on. They've seen their industrial production fall to the lowest levels in 2002, I think I read. Yeah. Since 2002. So, I mean, that's a long time. Um, and if you're, if they're having, uh, if we're concerned about a slowdown, they're certainly concerned about a slowdown. Well, it's people always talk about, oh, it's going to hurt China far more than the U.S. This isn't 30 years ago. Yeah. Everyone's so it's intertwined connected. now mm-hmm. that you can't have a, a, a bad situation in China that doesn't spill over. Oh, it's absolutely going to bleed into over. the U.S. We're going to feel some pain too. Uh, you know, maybe not as much, but we're definitely going to feel some pain. Absolutely. And, you know, we could talk about this plenty more. So it's probably a decent time for us to take a quick break, um, pay some bills, and we come back. We'll dig a little more into what's going on globally, and then we'll get into some uh, exit planning topics as well. You're listening to Money Talks. We'll be right back. I am one of those melodramatic fools, neurotic to the bone. 
the phone, no doubt about it. You ain't nothing but a hound dog. This is the dog. The dog of the week. Guys, for the dog of the week this week, it's too close to not make it about football. Like, can you feel football in the area? Oh, it is coming. back. It is coming. Yep. Best time of year. I can't. I mean, tonight, we're recording this on Thursday, we got some preseason football, which is the the biggest tease ever because it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You don't get to see anything good, but it's like, it's just, just the taste <laughs> yeah, of it. It's like, all right, we're close. Fair. Yeah. We're close. So my dog dogs of the week this week are both football-related. The first one, as an Eagles fan, I have to take every opportunity. Ooh, sorry. Hey, ring, okay? Um, <laughs> to hate on the Cowboys. And it's so easy to do right now because they're in some trouble with this contract talk. But my favorite thing of the week is Dak Prescott thinks he's worth $40 million a year. That is funny. How long has he been in the league? That is a joke. What th- He's coming off his rookie contract, so what, three yeah. years? Yeah. And let's see, there's there's a stat on here, love. Contracts really are getting out of control. Where does that put him, though, in terms of starting quarterbacks? I mean, he would be like the – he would have to be – Would that be – Highest paid, maybe? Is that higher than – Rodgers? Yeah, Rodgers or Matt Ryan or – It's just right up there with him. I'm not sure of the exact breakdown by year. In his three years in the NFL, he's yet to eclipse 4,000-yard mark in a single season. He has – 3,885 yards, his 3,885 yards, 22 passing touchdowns, and QB passer rating of 96.9, ranked 15th, 16th, and 14th, respectively, this past season. But make me the highest paid player. Come yeah. on. Yeah. Come Tom, on. Tom Brady, 27 million. Aaron Rodgers, 26.5. Russell Wilson, 26.2. And rumors are he was offered 30 and said, no, I'm good. I'll hold out for more. Wow. But speaking of Aaron Rodgers, Real one more player. thing i got to throw in there, his genius idea. Aaron Rodgers wants to increase crowd noise by cutting beer prices at Lambeau Field. Isn't that going to have the opposite effect? <laughs> if you cut beer prices, yeah, everyone's going to get oh, more drunk. Beer prices, and you, get, got you. Yes. you get the louder crowd. Oh, prices, okay. Yeah, well. For some reason, I thought you said beer sales. <laughs> oh, no, beer prices. No. Maybe I did. If I did, it's beer prices. Yeah. Well, that, that. that's going to – oh, absolutely. I, I like now, it. As a fan who wouldn't, you know, reap the benefits of higher beer sales – or higher prices, it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. make my beer cheaper. Right. I'll have a better time. I'll yeah. be louder. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever you whatever you want. Yeah. Just give something, me cheap beer. Something tells me Zeke's going to be uh, sitting this year out then. I think so, too. He's declining $30 million when you got these other, you know, Hall of Fame quarterbacks pay, playing for less. Yeah. Absolutely. He's definitely a dog. All right, guys, let's shift gears again here. Um, get back to talking about the global economy. So I didn't want to just leave leave off uh, where we were without talking about kind of what's going on in Europe. You know, we've mentioned the, the, the yield curve inversion, um, obviously the ongoing uh, trade war with China. Uh, it seems every week it changes slightly. Personally, for me, I don't think anything really changes. And maybe the market's finally starting to move a little bit less to uh, these the headlines of Talks. Yeah, I was the just rhetoric. about to say that's all that's really changing is because the bottom line thus far, aside from some of the tariffs hitting the bottom line, are not really. There's not been any meaningful impact. No, it's we just, have a great graphic downstairs in the research department. It's like uh, positive comments made about uh, towards a trade deal getting done, market rallies, and it's like nothing happens. Market declines. Yeah. Yep. Positive comments made. It, it's just well, we, it's so, we talk about this all the so time circular. with the market and. Uh, Market hates uncertainty, right? And that's all that's going on here. Is that and that we is, don't know what's going to happen. 
how are companies supposed to and manufacturing companies supposed to invest their capital? Yeah. There's and it's it goes beyond China. I mean, yeah. you look uh, across to Europe. You have Brexit. Who knows what happens with the Brexit? Mm-hmm. Right. Then you have the world's fourth and fifth largest economies that are in contraction in the second quarter. Both Germany and the UK yeah. were in contraction, yeah. so they are one quarter away from truly being in recession. Yeah. Those are, are the fourth are, and fifth uh, largest economies in Germany. Negative, and the ECB is already making comments that are that are you know members of the ECB are coming out saying whatever you think is going to happen at the next meeting, it's going to be even more dovish, more accommodative. Yeah. So uh, whether that's QE and cutting rates and, and cutting, mm-hmm. yeah, cutting you have rates, negative, it, like negative. the whole. The yeah. whole yield curves. I still don't understand the negative. whole concept of negative, negative yield. I mean, how, well, it's, I'm going to give you if, a if, dollar, and you're going to give me back ninety cents in a couple of years. I, I, I forget where it was. There's a country in Europe that has negative mortgage rates, where basically saw that your your uh, principal, yeah, your, your principal. Uh, oh, it's Denmark. Denmark. Your, your principal declines every month, so you're going to make your regular yeah. payment with interest. But it. Well, the, what I what I was reading about that was that the rate is basically. Uh, after after all of the costs and fees or whatever, you're effectively paying zero. So you have a zero sure. interest mortgage. Mm-hmm. Where do I sign? I want to go buy some property in Denmark. <laughs> yeah, I don't right? have to pay money to borrow to money. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. How do they make a profit? Then? How much can I? Can, will you let me have? Yeah. Take it all. Exactly. Well, these negative. <laughs> I mean, that that's a lot of it. At least in this country, has got to do with the institutional money. You know, like we were talking about the other day, some of these parameters that pension funds, endowment funds, and the like have right. to operate within makes that a more sensible thing for them, whereas individuals, you know, at least for the most part, are not going to find that acceptable and, and tend to stay away from that thing. But hopefully, uh, you know, it starts to turn around a bit because that is not a very rational. And really, when you see those rates move even lower, it's affecting us here because you're seeing capital flow to U.S. Treasuries because if you're telling me I can have a negative yield on a 10-year bond in mm-hmm. basically anywhere in Europe, or I can bring my money to the states and get 1.6 percent, 1.5 something's where the 10 years at right now. I'm, you know, you're going to see demand flood into the in the U.S. Treasuries. It's only going to that demand sends a price up, and the yields are the going yields to move going lower to and lower. Further. Right. Yeah. We're already so, dealing with a strong dollar. It's getting stronger by the day, it seems, and uh, that's not going to help domestic, you know, manufacturers, producers, things like that. So there's some headwinds ahead for sure, and and a lot of it's coming from international, but it's going to bleed over into our economy. Even though we're relatively strong at this point, um, back know, to the cleanest shirt and the dirty laundry. Right, exactly. The, the uh, earnings expectations are are low have, single digits have been reduced significantly. Yeah, it's just it's like finding that catalyst. So even if a trade deal gets done, I am personally not convinced that that moves the needle as much as the market has acted like it will with with just you know these promises of us getting closer to getting a deal done. Right. Um, I don't know what the catalyst is for earnings going forward. The tax, you know, benefit is that that has run its yeah, course at this point. That's baked in now. So yeah, I don't know. Well, guys, we'll kind of change things up here a little bit and and back to the SEPA topics we were talking about earlier. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about selling your business, what your options are. You know, there's internal options and there's external options. And as I mentioned, Casey and I are both certified exit planning advisors. So uh, you know, what we're trying to do right now is help some of these individuals who. Are, are reaching that retirement age or or really just planning far in advance, which is what you should be doing, and discussing, you know, what options are available for them, right? Yeah. 
So a, a lot of times with these family businesses, um, there are children involved and the parents, the, the owners, you know, they they want to keep that within the family, that ownership. They just want to pass the business down to their children who are working in the business. So a generational transfer is, is pretty common. Yeah. Um, pretty common, not commonly successful, I, I would say. I think um, uh, on average, um, what do they say, 80% of the businesses um, – don't make try it out to of the second generation. Oh yeah, um, and then even smaller as you get to successive generations beyond that. Yeah, the the statistics are very surprising, and in our experience in, in helping business owners transition or sell or whatever it may be, um, it is it is an emotional process for all parties. And even though it's your family, and you would you would assume oh we can come to some sort of agreement, it is very difficult. Uh, within a family to, to actually successfully and equally, I guess, divide up a, a business, especially if you have two children or something like that. Maybe one's yep. active in the business. A lot of considerations go to it. So yeah. um, that, that's one of, you know, one of the internal methods um, for selling your business or transitioning your business. Yeah, I mean, effectively, you've got, you've got um, it, there's two options. You can either sell it Externally or sell it internally. Right. And externally is going to be things like private equity. It's going to be things like strategic buyers, um, you know, uh, selling, rolling up into a, a larger company that would um, maybe purchase you for uh, supply chain reasons or, or something sure. like that. Um, those primarily are the, the external options. Uh, internally, there's a lot more options. Um, you know, you can sell it to your employees through an ESOP. Uh, you can you can sell it uh, to management, management buyout. Mm-hmm. You can sell it to a, a key employee or a few key employees, however you would want to structure that. Family members, we've already talked about. Um, so there's a number of different options. It just depends on what's going to, what are the variables that exist in your business because every business is very different. And, um, and, yeah, and also owner preference. There's a lot of people who absolutely insist that it's an internal transaction. They right. want to make sure that their employees are cared for and that, you know, some new buyer doesn't come in and change the culture of the company and, and you know, lays off employees that have been with that company for 30 years, maybe in some cases. Yeah. Um, and then some are in it just to maximize the value that they get from the transaction. And, to, you know, generally speaking, if you're selling to like a private equity firm, that's not where you're going to get top dollar. A lot of people think, oh, I'm selling to a PE firm. They're going to pay me a whole lot of money. But well, in most cases, a, a strategic, yeah, a strategic buyer, a competitor, or someone who can realize synergies from, from adding your business to something you know similar to what they operate in right now, a lot of times that's who's going to pay you the biggest premium and get you the most money. Yeah, and, and there's something to be said for transition internally, too. You may not be able to get as much money you know, right off the, the top, and a lot of times there's, you know, the terms are important as well. So um, you know, maybe when we come back from break, we can talk a little bit about the terms and how, how that plays into the business owner's decision yeah absolutely well that's a good place to take a break casey um when we come back we'll touch on this a little bit more answer some listener questions you're listening to money talks we'll be right back Welcome back to Money Talks. 
Man, guys, I really want to like let that intro song play through. We didn't start the fire? It takes too long to really hit. <laughs> we'd, we'd waste the whole yeah, segment. I mean, it wouldn't be a waste. I think our audience would probably appreciate that. Yeah, they're probably like, shut up, can you just play the song? <laughs> <laughs> I'm your host, Nick Antonucci, joined today by Jerry McKenzie and Casey Smith. And uh, where we left off was talking about exit strategies. Um, if you are looking to exit your business, kind of talk some internal options versus some external options. Um, and, you know... We encourage you always meet with an advisor when you're looking to to sell your business, transition in any way. Um, and as you guys discuss what the right options are for you, there's a lot of things to consider. Uh, you know, taxes is obviously one of them. What's important to you? Is it maximizing the value of the transaction or is it taking care of employees, things like that? And then also in a lot of these transitions, there's business owners like, oh, I'll sell my business and I'll be out of it. And wipe my hands of it right. clean. Well, it's not how it works typically. There's, Most of the time, not. There's yeah. some sort of period, whether it be one, two, three years, that you stay on and ensure that it transitions successfully. Now, for an internal type of sale, whether it to be, it be managers, managers by, uh, family, uh, ESOP, yep. there's probably less of a need for that because a lot of those are the people who are already in place. They know the processes and procedures. There's not going to be a, cult, a significant cultural change within the company. So it's probably less needed in an instance like that but it's definitely needed when you have an external tra- transaction. A lot of times it is. I mean, it, it, you know, let's say a private equity group wants to come in and, and buy your company. Obviously, they're going to want you to stay on and help that transition go smoothly. You know, they, they probably have some expertise in your industry and, and things of that nature, but they don't know anything about your culture. They don't know any of your processes and procedures. Right. They're going to want you to help guide them through the transition to make it as smooth as possible. Their goal at the end of the day is that they get a return on their investment. Sure. And they can end up, you know, selling the business for more money than they paid for it. Um, but they're going to need your help to do that. Downside is, uh, you know, for you as an owner, you're going to have to somewhat uh, do what they tell you to do. You're not the boss anymore. You're right. Sold out. And that's hard for a lot of business Very owners to, to, to not be in charge any longer. And yeah. additionally, a lot of a significant portion probably – of what the deal price is, is going to be in what's called earnouts. So yeah. you're not going to get the full deal price up front. You might get X percentage, and then you have a three-year earnout yeah. where later that money comes. So you have to stay on. It's not like you can get a year in and be like, no, nah, I'm not doing this anymore. Well, yeah. that's okay, but you're not going to get paid. Yeah, and guess what? They can fire you too. Absolutely. <laughs> you don't get your earnout. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of dynamics to this. I think it's where you guys provide the most value because, in my experience, a lot of business owners – when they are getting ready to, to exit or sell their business, it's all about the valuation, right? They're focused so much on that that they forget about how dynamic the rest of this is. Absolutely, with, you know, and it takes time, and that's why we encourage planning at very early stages. You know, we have we have clients right now who are going through things like this, and it might might even be a, a family transfer, but it's not easy yeah. to come to an agreement and to iron out the details. And, There's the tax consequences, right? And that's why it's, it's easy to say, you know, you look at valuations and everybody talks about multiples, right? You say, my business is worth five times EBITDA, whatever, two times sales, whatever the number is, the metric. But in reality, that may be the total sale transaction price, but you got to consider the timing of those cash flows, how that's going to impact you and your decision to retire. Um, not to mention, you know, sometimes people think that selling a business, and we've kind of hit on it, an external sale or a strategic buyer is probably going to pay you more money in real dollars to your, uh, for your business. Sometimes you can sell it internally, you know, a management buyout. If you're running a lot of expenses through your business, which most business owners do, mm-hmm. then you might be able to continue to do that even after you've stepped away. 
Um, and so you, it's not all about the sales price. It's about what are the other benefits to sure, the that, internal. That's a more lifestyle business, as exactly. it's called. Yeah. Which is why the guidance is needed, right? Because, I mean, you got I've, we've seen business owners that – They've they've gotten an offer or been approached about an offer, so it's, a, it's an external sale, right? But right. maybe they had every intention going into that of, of doing it within the family because maybe they've got kids that are interested in, in being a part of that. Uh, and so when you have this conflict or this dilemma between, all right, do I do what I was intending to, whether that be through an ESOP or, or a transition through a, a family limited partnership or something that would be kind of intra-family, right? But, but then you've also got this interested outside buyer. That, that to me seems like a big conflict for somebody that, that has never really, how many of these do you go through in a lifetime, right? Yeah, so right. Th- there's a lot of guidance that can be had and, and valuable guidance, I think, uh, because of those dilemmas that can come about because inevitably, you know, how do you make that decision? Am I better off for purposes of, of transitioning my state to my kids by selling this, maximizing the sale price and, and letting them do that and start their own business? Or do I bring them in like they've indicated they want to? And, and have them, you know, kind of take over as we've talked about in the past. It, sure. It's it's very well, – There's uh, the family dynamic when any time a family business is involved, when you talk about, you know, a lot of times a business owner, you know, even if their children have indicated an interest in participating in the business or buying the business out at some point, a lot of times a business owner may not feel that their child is capable of running the business at the same level. Uh, and the child is obviously going to feel just the opposite, right? So how do you reconcile those things? Um, and in a, from a valuation standpoint, you know, how do you value that business as opposed to what the value would be if you were to sell it to a strategic or a private equity group or what have you? And then to Jared's point, maybe you are, would be better off to just sell it externally, take your cash, give that to your kids or mm-hmm. divide that up yeah. and let them do whatever it well, is. Well, see, if I were a business do. owner, that's where I would feel like, I need to work with someone like y'all because it's almost like the, the, a lot of the same reason that clients engage us on a, on a just an individual financial planning or advisory front. You you have to have this disconnect because inherently you have this emotional bias towards your money, right? And you're going to make decisions based on that a lot of times. And if if you're not if you don't somehow have some kind of guidance to to disconnect from uh, the ability to determine what's what's best without your emotions playing into that decision, then it's going to be a, a very uh, troubling uh, decision uh, to determine ultimately long-term what's going to be best. Do I, do I sell to an outside buyer or do we transition internally uh, based on, you know, the family dynamics? Because I could do either. I'd, I'd be okay doing either, but I need someone's help here who knows what they're doing because uh, I don't, I can't, disconnect emotionally from this so maybe i'm leaning towards transitioning it to a family member but maybe that's not the best decision yeah there's definitely it's, things that you're you you may not be considering that you should be and then how does that look from a tax standpoint so on and so forth i mean that th- there's different layers to it right yeah. it's like peeling an onion yeah. and th- every every time you solve one issue then you got to get dive down to the next layer and figure out okay well How's that going to impact me from a tax standpoint? Mm-hmm. Then what is so, the so for the same reason you would hire a, a planner or an advisor to manage your investments, you you need someone's guidance in this regard too. And quite honestly, I think this is this is a growing thing for you guys as as SEPA uh, designators. Is that the is that the right term there? But no, but it is a growing thing as we talked about at the, in well, the beginning and, of the show. Here's the interesting thing too is, and we've talked about how much. Of the need there is for this, how many baby boomers are, are are business owners and are looking to exit in the next, you know, within the next 10 years, if not sooner. And then we look at what's happening in the economy. If we're headed for a recession, 
does that mean does that accelerate the timeline that you want to sell your business? Or yeah, I mean, you when va- valuations, even with the pullback, valuations are high right now yeah. in the market, so it's an optimal time. Problem is, if you've waited this long, I was just by about the time to ask, you get the deal done, it's yeah. What what I mean, who if, knows? if somebody now was looking to sell their business, what's the what's an average time frame for this? Which I know is going to be partially dependent on the size of the business, but if you've exactly. got somebody right now, well, that's the thing. Some I mean, people already you know have interest from from competitors. Mm-hmm. And it that timeline is much shorter than say someone who's going out cold trying to trying to market their business. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if it, you're looking at probably a minimum of of three years, if you haven't done any kind of planning at all or have no interest or anything like that. I mean, obviously, it's going to vary depending on the business and that what how marketable it is, but. Um, and some of know. these smaller businesses, you can probably get done faster in I don't know a year or so, but it. it it takes time. It yeah. takes planning, and never assume that you can go in there without any, you know, any advisor because you're going into to sell your business to someone who I assure you has experts with them, and you want to be sure that you're not getting taken advantage of. Yeah, you're not going to have the level of knowledge that they're going to have. You probably know your business better than them, but that doesn't mean that you're necessarily best at understanding uh, the terms of what they're offering to you um, and ensuring that you. That yeah. your best interest is, is yeah, you're getting something reasonable on, right. that you know you you know there's a range here that uh, there maybe there's some room for negotiation, but at the end of the day, when I walk away from this table, I'll, I'm not going to give a significant portion of my business away simply because of a lack of knowledge. Right. Sure. And and keep in mind, I mean that this is uh, you know, you don't sell your house without generally without a real estate agent involved, somebody to help guide you through the process. Mm-hmm. You know all of that. This is more than likely your largest asset. I mean, most business owners, their business oh, is without their, a doubt. their biggest asset by far. I mean, it's not even close for, in most cases. So, you know, knowing that you're going to be putting your biggest asset, you know, out there and, and to be, you know, picked apart by whoever's going to be trying to buy it, it's going to be a painful thing. And to have somebody to guide you through it is, is important. Sure. And, and I think that leads into is that, you know, a lot of people see the cost of some sort of uh, service like this, like, oh, I don't want to share in my cut of the transaction or pay you this. But look at it this way. If, if we can if we can get you $100,000, half a million dollars more for your business, isn't it worth it? Yeah, yeah. probably just covered the tax. Look, yeah. You know, good yeah. portion of it anyways. Yeah, right. Exactly. All right, guys. Uh, good conversation on exit planning. Also a good place to stop. When we come back, we'll take some listener questions. Uh, you listen to Money Talks. We'll be right back. That's the best intro song we're going to have for the show. Right. For sure. Casey's cover band, right? Didn't y'all, didn't y'all lay that track down? Oh, yeah. yeah. I thought that was your, your cover band. Casey's cover band. Out in Athens. Casey and the Moonshine Band. <laughs> oh, okay. I like it. <laughs> nice. Might be on to something. Yeah. You wanna, were you on vocals? That's you want to sing? By the way, nobody take that. <laughs> Taking him back to his Athens days. That's, <laughs> That's right. Well, we got some less listener questions to answer uh, this week. Um, as always, if you have questions of your own you'd like to have answered on the air, um, please call our question hotline at one eight five five four two nine nine one six six. Or if you prefer to email them, you can email them to drgene at hensler.com, H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. 
And if you need any personal help, if uh, you know, you're a business owner, you're looking to exit and you want to start planning now, maybe you need uh, some financial planning, um, anything like that, please feel free to reach out to us at 770-429-9166. So perfect uh, segue here into our first listener question, guys. Um, Jerry from Atlanta. I have a small consulting business and I'm in need of evaluation for a small business loan. I'm quite worried because the business doesn't have assets or inventory or even that much competition. It's really based on me and my talents for efficiency. Without getting too much into what what I do, how do I value my unique skill in a way that I can prove my business is viable and has a future value? So I'll just kind of talk broadly about the three methods that we use to value a business and doesn't mean all three are pertinent to any one particular business, but it's kind of when, when we do a conclusion of value, this is how we approach it. We do an asset-based valuation, which um, in your case, Jerry, uh, is not going to yield a high valuation at all. You're not an asset-intensive business. It's consulting. So this would be method number one. You're not going to use that. Method number two is the market-based method. So what we're going to do is we're going to go out into the, uh, one of our databases and see what businesses like yours in consulting um, have contract uh, uh, have sold for in the past uh, on a multiple basis. That might be price of sales, price to earnings, price to seller's discretionary earnings, any any number of multiples, and we could apply that to your business and come up with the value. And lastly, the the value that valuation method we most prefer is the income-based approach. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at your historical results. We're going to create some pro formas, project forward your your future results, discount those cash flows back to today, and really get an idea of what your unique business is worth. Now, as your business is unique, there are certain considerations that you need to take into account. So first off, you say it's basically based on you, your talents for efficiency. So Big problem there is you're a key man, and when applying discounts to evaluation, a key man discount is very common. So let's say, God forbid, something happens to you and you're not able to, to work. The value of that business is could essentially be zero. Yeah. If, if everything, all the skills and knowledge are in your head and you're not able to work any longer, that business is essentially worthless. The revenue stream is highly dependent on that person, right? Absolutely. So you need to be kind of training people under you um, that can carry on the business in your absence so that that key man discount is not so significant when it comes time for you to get that valuation. Um, you, you know, when you're, when you're trying to get a small business loan, a lot of banks, they want assets. They're not going to lend to you on goodwill, which there's a lot of goodwill in a business like this. Um, they want to see assets that if something happens, they can go in and, and you know, recover some collateral. of their losses. Yeah, collateral, exactly. So, um, you know, if, if you need a business valuation, there's plenty of options out there. Um, if, if you want to give us a call, we'll be more than happy to talk to you further about it. Next question comes from our good friend, uh, Ed Kelly. He asks, do you have a list of value stocks that you think are a good buy right now and are, are okay to be held for 10 years? Thanks. Um, so yeah, it, for those of you who don't know what a value stock is, it's typically those that trade at low multiples, low growth companies. Um, always pay a dividend because if you're not growing, uh, I sure as hope that you're paying me a dividend. Otherwise, how am I going to get my money back, right? Mm -hmm. yep. So, um, And value stocks of late have really um, been underperforming relative to growth. Absolutely. Stocks. Growth yeah. has been outperforming for several years now. Yeah. Um, value has been being down. It's been widening. It has. Uh, now, we've seen, we've seen somewhat of a tilt now. The volatility is right. into the market. Yep. Um, 
But as a result, but it's hard to find cheap stops. No, well, it's hard to. Well, there are of some of the value ones now. I know there's some. I mean, in fact, we've got a couple other questions here with with one or two of them on there. But since it has suffered like that, I mean, you and I were talking earlier this week about a valuation list we were looking at, and there's quite a few. It would seem on there that. Uh, you know, Relative to where they used to trade, yes. But if you right. were to say like absolute terms, like let's look at stocks for the PE under 15, that's getting harder and harder well, to yeah, find. From that perspective, absolutely. But I got a list here for you that are all trading under that, under 15 times, have a dividend yield of probably 3% or more. Some of these have a dividend yield of 7%. So we'll just kind of go down the list. Um, Altria, ticker symbol MO, British American Tobacco, BTI, Philip Morris, PM, all three attractive tobacco stocks. Um, I know you're probably thinking, oh, tobacco, I'm concerned, but we're actually pretty constructive on these names. Um, AT&T, I'm not worried about AT&T 10 years from now, getting probably 6-plus percent dividend yield. You know, balance sheet's healthy. Um, Another one we like, Gilead Sciences. So this company is cash-rich, man. Their balance sheet's so strong. Um, It's a drug company. They specialize in kind of hepatitis C drugs, HIV drugs. They basically cured hepatitis C, which is kind of why they've gotten beaten down because you don't have that recurring revenue source where I have to constantly be treated for it. Yeah. You know, you, you, you've kind of screwed yourself. That's the, <laughs> the drug. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where the pharmaceutical companies get into trouble. I mean, they don't really want What's to What's the incentive anything. to cure it? Yeah. yeah they, they want it to mm-hmm. be treatable indefinitely. Sure. <laughs> but attractive dividend yield is well covered there. Um, CVS is probably our, one of our favorite names out there right now. Um, that stock's up about 10% in the last week. They had a great quarter, second great quarter in a row. Do we know um, when this appeal, the, the appeal is going to be coming to a close? I know the judge had... For Aetna? Right, yeah, with the merger. As far as we know, the Aetna deal, I mean, it's it, you're seeing yeah. the Aetna results. I mean, the deal is done. They Even can the challenge all they want. Been but consolidated, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's that far along. We don't have any reason to believe that that there's going to be further issues with it. How can it possibly be trading this low still, though, even after this good week, as you mentioned, when that's factored in? So I think CVS levered up to make this acquisition, right? They mm. balance sheet, not as pretty as it was prior to, to the acquisition. But I think it's a, a great acquisition that they can justify. Now, you look at CVS as a whole, it's, it is a healthcare conglomerate now. You know, they're building doctor. You have the Minute Clinic in the stores. Mm-hmm. They're adding dental services, vision, yeah. overall wellness. And not to mention, you have an insurer now, Aetna, under you that can feed all this business to your pharmacy benefit manager business, your specialty pharmacy business, your standalone right. your retail pharmacies. I just think that it's so well integrated that it's just an, oh, an attractive company that's still going to grow earnings at 8%. Yeah. Pay a 3% dividend yield right now. So Ed's question, I mean, look, this is something that, uh, from a valuation standpoint, their trade, their market cap, uh, you and I were talking about this not too long ago, Nick, is less than what they just paid for Aetna. It just doesn't make sense. Right, which is why I think some of that can't be, uh, i, I got to feel like some of this appeal thing is holding the price back because surely, you're right, they have levered it up, and that certainly may not have fared well from the uh, balance sheet standpoint, but uh, it does look like it is a, a very cheap uh, attractive stock at the current price, and so hopefully some of that will come to fruition even more so than it has this past week. So, yeah, yes. absolutely. We hope so. Um, throw one more name out there, two more names out there to you. Verizon, ticker symbol VZ, and lastly, Cardinal Health, C-A-H. Really like that one. Yep. All, all right, all next question. Um, let see here. Rodney from McDonough. This might seem like a weird question, but my wife and I are, re- are redefining our emergency reserves before we embark on our next journey. 
having kids. Congratulations. We've been putting a steady amount each month into our savings account. The bank has called me to discuss cash alternatives. Why should I consider these? I thought the point of emergency reserves was for immediate liquidity. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Obviously, uh, emergency reserves are for immediate liquidity to some extent. Um, Putting it in a cash alternative is going to get you a little more yield. Um, And most of these cash alternatives is going to be things like money markets um, that are still very liquid. So they're going to be invested in short-term, you know, fixed income. Yeah, short-term might be treasuries, might be some commercial paper, paper. um, things like that. But it's still very liquid. You can access the money. If they're government uh, money markets, like we've, you know, uh, there were some regulatory changes a couple of years ago that have kind of set a a distinction between government money markets and prime money markets. So prime money markets are going to be things that typically they'll have that in the name, but they they may... uh, uh, they're not strictly government assets, and what the government has said is that uh, prime money markets can float, meaning the the price net per asset share, value. So typically, those value. trade at one dollar. Right. So you you could end up in a situation where the value of that is less than one dollar per share. Um, hasn't happened very often, but it has happened in the past where it's broken the buck, is what they call it. Um, the other you know bad thing about those prime money markets is they can lock up your funds for a period of up to 10 days, I believe. Mm-hmm. If, uh, you know, if there's a significant flows from the fund, uh, redemptions from the fund that would cause the fund to, to have issues, sort of like a run on the bank, if you will. Um, and so having 10 days of a lockup is certainly a liquidity problem. So government money markets don't have that same, those same criteria. They will stay at a dollar net asset value, dollar sure. per share. And I think it really depends. I like to look at it at, at, in buckets. So if it's True emergency reserves, keep that in cash. But if it's saving, if it's you're you're going to have a child in a couple of years, well, that doesn't need to be. You're not going to immediately have to go draw that from the bank. So you can put that in one of these short-term bond funds. Yeah, I think or, emergency or, or reserves are, like are going to be your you know three to six to twelve months of money that in case something happens, somebody loses yep. their job, what have you, uh, there's money to fall back on to, to spend from. So being liquid is good. Well, guys, it's going to be another exciting week. Tomorrow, I'm sure. There's not a lot of economic data. Um, we'll get the Fed minutes, but my question for you guys is, up or down? Got to go up from here. Yeah, I think so. Let's see a rally. All right, green it is for me, too. Thanks for listening to Money Talks. Have a great week. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments, It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.